forward to getting back into Colossians with you. Missed last week, but excited to jump back in and keep moving. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible, so it's going to be a good one to get today. Again, uh, just a reminder, this is not church. This is me opening the Word of God with you and kind of uh, 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 dumping it on you and wrestling through it uh, over the um, video. And I wish I could see your eyes so I can tell if we're connecting, but I can't. So I'm just feeding it out there to you. And then tonight we're going to sit down when we can see each other's eyes and talk through it, wrestle through it here in our home. Uh, you're welcome to come if you're in Tempe. We'd love for you to do that anywhere in the East Valley, really. But uh, Or I don't care if you're in Tennessee. You can drive to Tempe if you want. <laughs> but uh, we'll be doing it tonight. Um, and... Uh, if you want to know how to, to come join us, we'd love for you to just hit us up. You can find us on social media. You can find us on uh, – we have a website and stuff like that. But, yeah, hit us up and send us a message or something. We'll tell you how to get where we're at, and we'd love for you to come join us. We're just going to hang out, pray, talk through this text, and kind of wrestle with what we feel about it, what we think uh, God is trying to tell us through it. and. And how he spoke to each one of us. So it's a really cool time. Some munchies and some other stuff. So we'd love for you to come. Anyway, that's tonight. Uh, today we're fixing to get into it. Remember that uh, Colossians 3.3 3 is kind of been a theme verse for us. I'll repeat it pretty much each week. But for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Hold that thought as a believer in your heart at all times. And we'll wrestle through it when we get to chapter 3. But just that's kind of the theme. So. Let's go in and read first our section for today. And we're actually going to break this up into two weeks, this week and next week. But I'm going to read all of it today and all of it again next week, although we won't cover all of it today. So Colossians 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray for us. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. It is so amazing. It's so awesome. Uh, the more I've studied this passage and committed it to memory and just wrestled through it, it's unbelievable. Lord, you are you are unbelievable. You are, you're, you're so Hard to even find the words as I'm doing now. Um, hard to find the words. But I love you. And I'm so grateful for you. I love you that you loved me even while I was a sinner. Lord, I pray that you help us today as we unpack this to understand who you are. To love you more because of how much more holy than us you are. It is a, a great reason to love you because 
being more holy, being more wonderful, being more perfect, being creator of all things, Lord, you still set your hearts on us. And for that reason, Lord, among many others, we love you. Pray, Lord, that your word is heard and not mine. It's your word. I'm a student like anybody else, and I pray that we hear from you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, Molly and I got to spend some time in Wyoming, um, and uh, we were at the Grand Tetons in Yellowstone, and thanks to the Morrows, very good friends of ours, best friends that made that vacation possible for us. It was just a few days, but they shared their time with us, and uh, thank you. It was awesome. We love you guys. But anyway, if you've ever been there, you already know it's beyond description. Like, there's no camera that can do justice to what you're seeing. I mean, not even the best HD pics, not even 4K video. I mean, nothing can really do it. When you stand there in front of these mountains and you look at these rock cliffs and the snow that's on them in the middle of summer and the, you know, the tall pointed trees that are all kind of around and the mountain sides like these glens and meadows that are all the way up the sides of the mountains and uh, nothing like the lakes and and the gorgeousness, the way they sit. Is that a word, gorgeousness? I don't know. But the way they sit there and the waterfalls are mind-blowing. I mean, just there's just no, like I'm I'm using words like gorgeousness. <laughs> That's kind of to my point. Like there's just, there's it's hard to find words. But with God, it's infinitely more difficult to describe. It's infinitely more overwhelming when we start thinking about him. Uh, it's impossible to describe him. Put it like this. He created the Tetons with a breath. I mean, put that into perspective. He's so much bigger. And so Paul's been praying here, as we've already looked in the past few weeks, for them to have knowledge and wisdom. And they're going to need it because this bomb that he drops right here, man, uh, they're going to need some serious wisdom to try to grasp what he's saying. And the fact of the matter is it can't be grasped. It, it can't be. It just must be embraced by faith. Now, why do you think, and this is interesting, but why do you think Paul puts this right here? Like he doesn't jump to, hey, okay, be praying for you guys, so here's what I need you to do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. No, instead he jumps into this whole who is God thing right in the front, theology, right out of the gun. A friend of mine, Tomas, said that it changes the lens for the practical application that's to come. And that's the key. You often hear me say we read the Bible to see God. That's the idea of what Tomas was recognizing, what Paul is saying here too. Theology should be up front. Um, too often we know what to do, but we don't understand who it is that we're doing it with or through. And that's what's most important. To un- understand our, our nature, our identity, what we're talking about here, we need to consider his to know who we are, we got to know who he is. That's the idea here. So today, Paul takes this moment from kind of directly addressing these believers at Colossae to start to point out or maybe remind them that Jesus is first above all. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is ruler. These are the things we're going to look at today. And, and when we do, I want you to see that our identity in Christ is only effective because of who he is our identity in him is only effective because of who he is and our hope is based on the same thing who he is 
So here's how we're going to approach it. We're going to look at Jesus as first above all. Today we'll look at him as creator in verses 15 to 17. And then next week we'll look at him, you know, Jesus is first above all as redeemer in the back half, which I've already read. So we're going to kind of look at him today as creator God, as ruler God, and as sustainer God in these verses. And, and a couple more things before we jump in, just so I'm setting the stage. There, there's a lot of false religions. There's a lot of false teachers out there. And they all kind of pivot around who God really, or excuse me, who Jesus really is. God, who Jesus really is. Uh, Molly and I watched a thing on Warren Jeffs the other day. You can fund the fundamental LDS leader. You can watch it your own time. I'm not going to go into it, but he, he's a good case in point. Jim Jones, the People's Temple, the one back in the 70s who uh, led nearly a thousand people to commit suicide, Charles Manson. All these guys have this understanding or language that tries to explain who Jesus is. And in fact, many, many cases, they claim to be him themselves. They all use scripture Especially Warren Jeffs, they use scripture, but they twist its meaning. Now, Satan did the same thing in Matthew chapter 4. We're not looking at it, but he did the same thing with Jesus. He didn't just come out and defy Jesus. He used scripture against Jesus. Jesus used scripture back, but Jesus used it properly applied. So the point in me saying all that is that I'm going to use a lot of scripture today. Okay, I'm going to use a lot. Now, I'll put it up on the screens as best I can, and uh, you guys can look it up and go deeper at a later point in time. But I'm going to give you a bunch, and uh, the reason for that is because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take his word for it. I want it to be something you could take home, and you can study when you're alone. And the same Holy Spirit that enlightens me when I read the word will enlighten you when you read it and show you who he is, unless... The Holy Spirit does not dwell in you because you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. And in that case, I hope that the first thing that you do from this is ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to what his word says. Because when you see his word, you're going to see him. And when you see him, believe me, you're going to want to give your life to him. Okay, so that's my first hope for you in that case. But the reason for that is because the question, who is Jesus? is without a doubt the most important question you will ever answer, ever, in all of your life. The most important question is who is Jesus that you'll ever answer. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to duck down right here and fix this because it's driving me crazy. My table has a a bump in it, and it's going to rock, and it's going to make me nuts. See, I told you I'm not cutting nothing. We're straight live here, folks. <laughs> I don't have a crew. It's just me. Uh, but C.S. Lewis made a great point, which many of you probably already know, but he said he wasn't simply, Jesus wasn't simply a prophet, he wasn't simply a good man, because neither of those would falsely claim to be God. And Jesus did claim to be God. The point is, though, Jesus didn't claim it falsely. So Lewis said he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are the only options that he left us. You can't go into any other turf with him. And the fact is, Jesus is God. It's a fact. God, who is expressed in three persons, we call it a trinity, is it's having the exact same nature and identity, all, all three, yet also remaining unique persons. Um, in other words, impossible to explain. Okay? 
impossible for our brains to take it and put it in a neat little box. We can come up with cute little illustrations or cute little ideas. The fact of the matter is we cannot explain it. Um, and, and it's seen, I'm going to say up front, it's seen as this weakness in Christianity, but it's not a weakness. It, and that's an unfair judgment because all faiths would claim that they don't know every detail about their God. In fact, most all faiths would say they know very little about their God because he's too holy, he's too other, he's too far up there. They're trying to get to him. They don't know. So for all they know, their God could be 12 gods in one or 500 in one. They don't know. What we say is that, yes, Jehovah is beyond explanation. Jehovah God, Yahweh, is beyond explanation. He is too holy for human definition. But what we say is, that being said, we can know him. That's uniquely different to Christianity. Jesus said, only the Son knows the Father and those to whom the Son reveals him. Uh, to, and that's in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus also said in John 14, to see me is to see him. Jesus said in John 17, I have made the Father known when he was talking about his disciples. I've made him known to them. So let's, let's look at it, okay? So I say all that to kind of set things up. So let's look at it. Um, the, the first step here, Colossians 1 verse 15, uh, this is the creator God. He is the image of the invisible God. The image there is the word visual representation. That's what image is. And invisible is the impossible to see. So image is visual representation. Invisible is impossible to see. You know, there was a young pastor uh, in a sermon prep group that I used to be involved in some time ago. Uh, and kind of on the spot, he said he could explain the incarnation, the fact that God became a baby born of a woman and dwelt among us. And then he gave this like one sentence kind of regurgitation of a seminary definition that he'd gotten. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is people who race to explain, to have an explanation for everything in the Bible or, 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 or everything about God. They're arrogant at the best and heretical at the worst. The, there's, the God of this Bible is so much bigger than we are. And Paul, notice that Paul makes no attempt to explain himself. He makes this impossible statement and then he drops it on you and just says, let that blow you away for just a minute. How about rather than explain it, Paul just sticks it there. Because the fact is you can't explain it. You can't explain it. Isaiah 40, verse 18. God, Jehovah God, Old Testament here. Isaiah 40, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? Uh, verse 25, same chapter. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Isaiah 46, 5. To whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that... We may be alike. What he's saying is that there's nothing you can compare me to. Give me three examples of God. You can't. That's what he's saying. Because I am 
bigger than everything that you might think to compare me to. In fact, the Old Testament forbids images of God. Exodus 20 verse 4 is one of the commandments. You guys probably know you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Why? Why doesn't he want you to use anything to make images of him? Well, or or any images of anything else for that matter. For one, because he's a jealous God. Nothing else should be worshipped in his place. Not even something that's supposed to represent him. It's him alone that should be worshipped. He also, he's not seen. You can't see him. Therefore, you can't create an accurate likeness of him. That's what he's saying. What are you going to compare me to? You're going to make a, a cow? Is that going to be comparable to me? You know, he's not a creation of the world. And therefore, anything you use from the world, sticks, rocks, whatever, anything you use from the world to create his image would reduce his glory to things created out of the world. And that's not that he won't, he won't have it. So when he says here, he's the image of that word image, it can mean a few things. It means kind of to be similar, to be like. It means like a painting or a statue or like a, a head, an impression on a coin, a head there. Uh, it means like a reflection or a mental image or a copy. It also means a living image, an embodiment, or a manifestation. So a, lot of, a lot of things you can pull out of that word. But the context here clears it all up for us. Because if Paul uses the language that he does... Knowing Exodus chapter 20, where God won't allow images of himself, then he means that Jesus is more than just someone who looks like God. He's not a look-alike. He's not created to reflect him. He is the image. He is the image. He's those last words in there. He's the, the living image, the embodiment, the manifestation of God who is unseen. Translation, seeing Jesus is seeing God. Seeing the visible Jesus is seeing the invisible God. That's exactly what he's saying. One uh, commentary puts it this way. Image, the word image here, does not imply a weakening or a feeble copy of something. It implies the illumination of its inner core and its very essence. But but Paul doesn't make any attempt to reconcile his thought here. He just drops a, this impossible thing on you to let you feel the weight of it. And he's not the only one. John did the same thing. John, just give you a few of them. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just that alone. The Word was, first of all, the Word is odd to begin with. But we know that to be Jesus because in verse 14 he says that Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, which is also odd. But to say that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and was God. He doesn't even make any attempt to explain why, how that is or what that means. He just says that's it. Then he says, as I mentioned, he became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, real mind blower here. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. You should go back and read that one again because that is a mind blower. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side 
has made him known. No attempt again to break that down for you. Just drops it on you. Jesus himself also made the claim to be God. And again, made no attempt to, to define or reconcile how. For instance, John 8, verse 58, Jesus says to the uh, Pharisees and the Jews in a crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, he's saying a couple things here. For one, he's saying he existed before Abraham. Jesus is saying this to people's faces. But he's also using this term, I am, and it's a proper name. It is the name Jehovah or Yahweh that we pull from the Old Testament that we see. That's the name in the burning bush that God introduced himself to Moses as. That is that name, that holy name. He is calling himself that person. And we know that because the response is in verse 59, the Jews pick up stones to throw at him because uh, they know he is or they believe him to be blaspheming. John 10, a little bit later on, John 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Jews Picked up stones again to stone him. Verse 33 says they, they weren't stoning him for his good works. It says but they were stoning him for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Again, no explanation from Jesus on that. John fourteen six, probably the most powerful one there is, in my opinion. Jesus says to his disciples, I am, we know this verse, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that sounds like the Father's over here, Jesus is over here, we're over there, the path is through Jesus up to the Father. But what he says in verse 7 starts to change that. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him, listen, and have seen him, past tense. Have seen him. What's Jesus saying? If you've seen me. Look, Philip, Philip's just like we would be. Philip's like, okay, Jesus, break this down for me. Because, hey, Jesus said, that, dude, Lord, show us. Verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long you still don't know me, Philip? What's he saying? You still don't get who I am, Philip, all this time? Whoever has seen me, past tense, has seen, past tense, the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Like, he's even shocked. How can you say, show me the Father? It's me. You've seen him. The path to the Father is through Jesus because they're one. How? I don't know. Don't know. I don't have to know. Not having a clear explanation or definition of God doesn't weaken his identity at all. In fact, it makes it beyond ours that we can't define him. It makes it possible for us to actually depend on him by faith because he can see more than we can. He knows more than we can. He's way bigger than we can. And that's also how we know we're secure because he's able to keep us and to guard us. He's also able to keep his promises because he's bigger. Look at verse uh, 15. He's also the firstborn of all creation. Creation being kind of the universe and everything that's in it. So the first part of 15 is kind of related to his person. The second half of the verse is related to his position. It doesn't mean that he was birthed first. The Bible refers to David as the firstborn at one point, but... He was not the first child of Jesse, and he was not the first king. 
of Israel, right? The Bible calls Israel firstborn. But Israel was not the first nation on earth either. It's not, the language here is not in connection to he is born of a person. It is talking about the position or the significance that he has. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 6 says this. Again, when he, he's talking about God, when he brings the firstborn into the world, notice he brings him. It doesn't say when he births a child, his, his baby. It doesn't say all that. It says when he brings the first. So the firstborn is the title for this person, the son, who is being brought into the world. And he says, let all God's angels worship him. Then he says in verse 8, of the son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is eternal. Again, no attempt to explain it, but the firstborn is who he is. That's his title. Tony Evans explained it really well. He says this He says, It's like the term first lady. The president's wife is not the first woman ever to live in the White House. She holds the rank of first lady, though, because of her position. And that's the idea. Uh, Norman Geisler said, so firstborn implies both Christ's priority to all creation in time and his sovereignty over all creation in rank. So he, he wasn't a separate born child. In fact, Paul tells you here he was all God. Look at verse 19. We'll get into it next week. But in verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. End of story. He was all God. Verse 16, Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created or brought into existence in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. By Jesus, all things were brought in heaven and on earth. Uh, on earth would include everything, plants, animals, humans, rocks, mountains, streams, the invisible stuff here like oxygen, the laws of gravity. Heaven would be the stars and the planets uh, for one. It would also be the abode of God, but in particular the stars and the planets. Invisible then would begin to uh, go into the realm of the spiritual and say in everything that's in a spiritual realm in both heaven and earth, for instance, angels. Point is, nothing whatsoever exists apart from Jesus determining it to be so. You hear what I'm saying? The point he's making is nothing whatsoever exists apart from Jesus determining it to be so. He is creator God. Look in verse 16, he's also ruler God. Verse 16, it says... Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now remember that Paul was wrestling through some times with these Gnostics and their teachings that were all over these churches. Um, but they, again, they placed these authorities in heaven, uh, these like idea of there being these lines of spiritual beings that you would kind of have to pass through to get to God and they were increasing in, a, in power and recognition and status and whatever as they went, whether they were spirits or angels or whatever jesus in their mind was just one along the list there and so paul is correcting that statement by saying this um and he does this in other places too in ephesians which uh, or ephesians 1 verse 21 
He says, Jesus is seated in heaven, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age, in the one to come. So now and in eternity to come. All right. Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Heavenly places, same idea. And I love the way Hebrews puts this. Jesus' position as son is above all rule, angels or otherwise. Hebrews 1 verse 3, and this is mammoth, and, and, and we could go days on just this one too. But in Hebrews 1 3, it says, He, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Put your brain around that exact imprint of his nature upholds the universe by the word of his power that is unbelievable language after making purifications for sin he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs he is infinitely beyond infinitely beyond angels in all spiritual things he holds the universe together by the word of his power. And then Paul also wrote, perhaps, or perhaps this is why Paul also wrote in Romans eight thirty eight, and perhaps you know this verse too, but for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty of the theology. Here's the beauty of putting it right up front. Here's the beauty of knowing that he is above all rulers, all authorities. If you belong to him, listen, you truly have nothing to fear. Nothing. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to run from. Nothing. Look at verse 16. He goes on. He says, all things were created through him and for him. Again, Paul, knowing the Old Testament, he's crediting creation to Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 40, I mentioned it a little bit ago. Verse 25, it says, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. The verse goes on to say this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. In other words, God says, take a look at the stars. Look at the sky, look at the planets. Who created those? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Paul would say, yeah, that's Jesus that did that. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Listen now. Thus says, listen, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. Lord there being Jehovah, Yahweh, the proper name, I am. That same name. Thus says the I am, Jehovah, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am Jehovah, Yahweh, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Okay? By myself. That in light, consider what John, an apostle of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, what John said in verse 1. Of one, I read it before, but let me read it again. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, Isaiah said, God speaking, that he spread out the earth by himself. Isaiah forty-five twenty-two: Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Jehovah, Yahweh, no other. To me everyone will swear allegiance, every knee will bow. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says, So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Is Paul inventing this? Is Paul just ripping off the Old Testament and making Jesus the man? No, it's been that way from the beginning, guys. I don't have time to walk through all of it, but you can go back to the very first page. Page 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, when he made man, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There is a sense of a plurality of God. He is an us and a one. Cannot explain it, don't have to, but I can tell you right now, he rules all authority, all of creation, all of it. And finally, he sustains. So he's the creator God, he's the ruler God. Verse 17, he's the sustainer God. Look at this. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Before all things is pretty clear. It means he's eternal. He's outside of time. He's not the first created in a list of future creations. He has always existed. He is the eternal son, just as we have an eternal father. He is the son who has always been and always will be. And in fact, every year at Christmas, we go back over this, whether you realize it or not. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Ravi Zacharias would reference that frequently and say that the son is given, the child is born, the son has always been. All right. But anyway, he goes on, he says that this is this son, the government shall be on his shoulders and him, the son, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That's the name of the son, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Son shall be called Eternal Father. Revelation 22, verse 13, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, I was here when it started. I'll be here when it finishes. I am eternal. That's what Jesus is saying. In him, he says, all things hold together. What an awesome statement. You know, the earth, obviously we know it, there's gravity that pulls uh, holds us all here on the earth. It, 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 it's the force that pulls to the center that holds us on, in place. The sun, in a similar way, creates a, a, a sense of pull that holds the solar system in place. Um, even on tiny scales, atoms, they, I don't know how they work, but they have forces that hold them together as they spin. We can't even see them. Jesus is the force, he's saying, that holds all of creation in place. It all pulls towards him, and without him, it all flies apart. That's kind of scary, right? Someone once said that all he has to do is exhale and creation vaporizes. Um, look in verse 16. By him, 
Verse 16, through him. Verse 16, for him. Verse 17, in him. By him, through him, for him, in him. He is the source of everything here. So let me bring this to a close with this. Knowing who Jesus is, his identity, uh, his true identity, is by far, by far the most important thing that will ever happen in your life to determine that. and Or recognize it anyway. And the sad thing is many will claim his name, but don't really know his identity. They don't really know him. And I often say the Bible, I mentioned it before, is a tool to see God. And it is. And it's the most certain way that you can approach knowing who he really is, without a doubt. Um, The Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and a tiny pinch of Aramaic in there as well. And most English translations are pretty good. But those were the original languages. But let me give you an illustration of what happens when you want to define Jesus in a way that makes sense. Rather than looking at what it really says about him. And I'm going to go back to the Jehovah's Witness again. And the reason why is because they have a translation. It's called the New World Translation. And I have one. And this is read straight from that translation. So this is straight from, from their translation of the Bible. And it's theirs in particular because of these reasons. John 1 verse 1. We've read this multiple times already, but let me read from their translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They stick an A in there. There's no room in the Greek in the original language for that A. And it's God was the Word. There's not God was a Word or a God was Word. There's no room for the A. The A doesn't belong there. God was a, or the word was a God is not the right translation. It changes things, right? Listen to this one. This is what our text right now, Colossians 1. I'm going to read that whole text again, or most of it. And just listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and upon the earth. The things visible and the things invisible, no matter whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, also he is before all other things, and by means of him all other things were made to exist. Verse 19, I'm skipping a little bit, because God saw it good for all the fullness to, for all fullness to dwell in him. Not All the fullness of God dwells in him. God saw that it was good for all fullness to dwell in him, whatever that means. And through him to reconcile again to himself all other things. Five times they stick the word other in there. They even put it in brackets. It's not in there. You're changing the whole meaning. You're you're, you're saying that he was created and then he created the other things. No, he created all things. He didn't, it wasn't he was created and then there were the other. There's those, there's none of that. He created all things, but you put those five others in there and it changes things. It it makes it easy to understand, but you've defined Jesus rather than accepting what by faith, accepting by faith who he is. Who the Bible says he is. Rather than do that, you've defined him, you put him in a box, and you're not worshiping him. You don't know him. You've got to look at what he says. I use the analogy often. I'm sorry if you've heard it, and uh, you'll hear it again, I'm sure. But uh, it's just a good one. That's the way I always remember it. But if you're a man, I can be pretty sure you didn't define woman before you fell in love and married your wife. 
be my guess of what women you could say the same about man. And I'll bet that your attempts to define woman <laughs> have probably changed quite a bit throughout your marriage, depending on how long you've been married, and certainly gotten more complex. And either way, if you've had a daughter, you started all over again, I promise. So, uh, but imagine the eternal, omnipotent creator of all things infinitely other the point is not to explain him the point is just to fall in love with him man love him accept the opportunity to become his to belong to him and learn to know him more and more throughout your life and then beyond because i promise you when you get to heaven we're not done we're just going to get started knowing him more discovering him more and we need to remember listen that accepting christ accepting christ we're not allowing him to have us. We're not saying, okay, your offer sounds good. I'll accept that. That's not what we're, we're not, not, that's not it. Accepting Christ means that though we can't explain him, we accept who he claims to be as the truth. It means that we accept him for who he is and that we know by faith that we can trust him. That's what it means to accept him. So, what do we do with this? Well, consider, for instance, the unimaginable glory of God in these verses. Go back, sit down, read them again. Let your brain be blown. Think about them. Imagine the supremacy of Jesus, like his eternal nature and the fact that he holds all of creation together, that he's omnipotent, that he sees all, that he controls all, that he holds the whole universe in his hand and then take it a little bit deeper to an unimaginable level and see that that same Jesus became a man for us. And then go a little bit deeper and know that he did that because even while we were sinners. And then you can go to the absolute bottom and try to get your brain around the fact that that God who knew no sin, became sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. It breaks my heart because I ain't worth that, man. Ain't. That was a good southern word for you guys. I'm not worth it. Only Jesus can provide the answers to the fallen world that we live in. Only he can. I watch the news. I see what's going on. Only he has the answers. You know why? Because he's the one that designed it perfectly without sin. So he's the only path to that. He's the only way to the, the way to paradise, the way to heaven, to the one who created you. It's only through him because it is him. He alone loves us unconditionally. You know how I know? Because while we were yet sinners, he loved us. He died for us and he went to a cross for us. For me, man, a busted up drug addict. He went to the cross for me. He alone provides hope for us because he alone defeated death. And the cross, he alone uh, gives us life. And, and, and we know when we give our life to him that we can trust him because he sustains us as ruler above all. Listen, if you're already in the family, if you're not in the family, you need to, man, you need to give your life to him. Just take a knee and confess it. Say, Jesus, I, I trust you. I give you my life. Show me who you are. Show me who you are. I will, I will follow you wherever you lead. 
Open my eyes. Open my heart to know who you are. Tell him that today. And then hit us up and let us know so we can pray for you. Uh, if you're in the family, though, sometimes theology makes us forget to consider its implications. You know what I'm saying? We get in here and we start wrestling and thinking and hmm, ah, hmm. But we tend to not jump into really thinking about the implications that are there. It's not just about the study of God. It's about the awe that should come on us when we realize who he is. Not Not trying to find creative ways to explain him. But just to be blown away by him, to realize how massively holy and other he is. And that should bring us to humility, to joy. It should bring us to a sense of security. It should bring us to respect for him. It should bring us to repentance. It should bring us to commitment. It should bring us to, more than anything else, a strengthening, growing faith and a response that is obedience. Know what I'm saying? All right. We'll pick it back up next week. I'm praying. Lord, I love you. You are an amazing God. Thank you so much for this time today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you help us be able to accept the fact that you are so much other than we are and and not have to have an explanation but also at the same time to fully trust in who you are by faith and thank you that you have made yourself known that jesus is the visible uh, representation of the invisible that to know jesus is to know god lord thank you for that i pray lord that you continue to guide and direct our paths throughout the week we love you We worship you alone, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.